You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Well, my name is David, like Eric said. Um, if you haven't met me before, uh, my wife Abigail and I have been coming to reality um, Honolulu for, I kind of lost track, four or five years or something like that, I think. So it's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I'm really excited because uh, we're in an amazing series uh, that, like Eric said, Zach kicked us off with last week in the book of Proverbs. And um, today in particular, we are going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 8, which I don't know if I would say this is my favorite, um, you know, chapter in the Bible, but it's up there. I think that this is one of those chapters that you can spend your entire life on just meditating. And the more I read it in my preparation, the more I saw, and the more I realized I can't say all these things. And so I've tried to simplify it as much as possible so we're not here all afternoon. Um, But I've entitled this uh, message this morning called Wisdom, an Invitation to Life. Wisdom, an Invitation to Life. And before we actually get into Proverbs chapter 8, I'm going to go ahead and read it. And I don't have it up on the screen just because it's so long, and it would be so many slides, but I'm going to ask you guys, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Proverbs chapter 8, and I'm going to be reading on the ESV version, or if you have your phone or whatever, just go ahead and turn to that because you're going to want to follow along uh, as we go anyways. And so, if you just join me in reading, it's a little bit lengthy, but I feel like I need to read um, it all the way through. And so this is Proverbs chapter 8. It says this, Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights besides the way at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town at the entrance of the portal she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. From my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteous in the path of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up, and at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with water. 
Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with his fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle in the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress, he commanded. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and attains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the incredible opportunity that we have as your people, as your community to gather in this place and to hear from your word this morning. Father, we ask that your spirit would speak through Proverbs chapter 8, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit would um, bring uh, to light the truth that you want to reveal to us this morning. God, we just pray that the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Proverbs chapter 8. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. Maybe some of you are, maybe some of you aren't. It's, it's fairly lengthy, and there's a lot in here. And uh, in order to really start going verse by verse through it, I need to give us a little bit of context as to what's happening when chapter 8 comes. Because last week, if you were with us, Zach kind of introduced us to the book of Proverbs as a whole— but chapter 8 is kind of a really specific chapter, and it's not like what we would think of when we think of the Proverbs as proverbial sayings, right? Zach kind of talked about uh, the proverbial sayings, which takes up the most of uh, the book of Proverbs. Um, he mentioned the modern-day one that we would say is something like, an apple a day keeps the doctors away, right? We understand this in our modern context. And the most of the book is filled with things like that. But in the first nine chapters— uh, starting in Proverbs chapter 1 through chapter 9, we actually have a grouping of nine speeches. And Proverbs 8 is one of those speeches from um, a literary character called Lady Wisdom. It's wisdom personified as this wise woman. That's Proverbs chapter 8. And if you were to keep reading, there's another group called the Proverbs of Solomon. It's kind of the first part, and that goes all the way from chapter 10 through chapter 24. And then if you were to read chapter 25 through 31, there's another grouping of the Proverbs of Solomon. And so this week is going to look a little bit different than the, the next weeks as we go through Proverbs, uh, because most of the next weeks will be a little bit more topical in the latter sections of this book. And what's interesting, in the first nine speeches, we're kind of introduced to four main characters— that are the ones that are involved in the speaking and the presentation. We have this royal father or this father figure who is depicted and portrayed as Solomon. And Proverbs is attributed to Solomon. If you know anything about Solomon in the Bible, he was a very wise king. 
You can read about how he gets the gift of wisdom in 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, right as he is beginning to reign in his father David's place. And so he is this royal father, and he is speaking the Proverbs to his son or his future sons. And so it's a wise father giving advice and wisdom to his sons. And you're going to see uh, two characters that are grouped together that also have two contrasting characters. You have the royal father and lady wisdom. These are kind of like the male and female counterparts. These are the wise characters. And then you're going to have the wicked man and lady folly who are kind of the contrasting characters and they're the competing voices or the competing ways of life or this competing way of wisdom that is being offered. And so in Proverbs chapter 8, we have kind of this culminating speech of Lady Wisdom. This is kind of, uh, although you'll see Lady Wisdom talk in the earlier chapters, in chapter 1 and chapter 3, and you'll see her uh, mentioned throughout the first uh, six chapters, chapter 8 is kind of like the culmination, it's kind of like the climax of her speech, where she kind of uh, puts her best foot forward. And it's important for us to know in chapter 8 in particular that chapter 8 is going to be coming as a contrasting speech to chapter 7. Now, we don't have time to get into chapter 7, but chapter 7 is the culminating speech of Lady Folly. And Lady Folly is the counterpart to Lady Wisdom. And what's important to know just on a, a surface level is that Lady Wisdom represents the way of life. And Lady Folly represents the way of death. And that's going to be what we're going to be looking at. The invitation to life versus invitation to death. And we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 8, and then we're going to do a little bit of a, a Bible overview kind of uh, thing, looking at Genesis all the way to Jesus and seeing how that theme develops throughout Scripture of this contrast between life and death. And what's interesting is Lady Folly is known for her seductive appeal, her seductive speech. And I just want to read from Proverbs chapter 7, verse 21. And this is how uh, they describe this woman's voice. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. So when you think of Lady Folly, don't think of some foolish person that no one would pay attention to. She is seductive. She is crafty, and she is a trying to entice and seduce the son of Solomon to participate in her way, and her way ultimately leads to death. And so if you were to go to Proverbs chapter 9, which is the final section of the first part of Proverbs, you have two contrasting final appeals by these two women. And they're both trying to entice the son to come and dine in their houses. And I want to read from uh, a, a little bit of what Lady Wisdom says in her appeal. It's in Proverbs chapter 9, 4 through 6. This is Lady Wisdom. She says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So Lady Wisdom's invitation is an invitation to life. And we're going to contrast that later on in Proverbs chapter 9. We're going to see that this is Lady Folly's invitation, and it's very similar 
And she says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. This sounds familiar. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. And so chapter 9 is, again, it's kind of like putting all of the, the themes that have been developed in the first eight chapters in one setting. And it's these two dinner invitations. And one that Lady Wisdom is throwing is the party. It's the house that leads to life while the other one leads to death, even though it is unsuspecting to those who pass by. And so uh, we're going to get into Proverbs chapter 8, which again, this is Lady Wisdom's appeal, and it's contrasted to Proverbs chapter 7. So I would encourage you guys uh, to later on this week, uh, maybe look at Proverbs chapter 7 and see how it's contrasting to Proverbs 8. And again, Proverbs 8 is wisdom as an invitation to life. And you can kind of break up Proverbs chapter 8 into three main sections. Verses 1 through 3 is essentially the introduction before the speech begins. It's kind of setting the stage for Lady Wisdom's speech. And then the majority of Proverbs 8 from 4 through 31 is the speech. It's the body. And then at the very end in Proverbs 32 uh, through 36 verses, you're going to see the conclusion where in the end, she summarizes once again the themes that have been introduced throughout the book of Proverbs thus far. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just, I'm going to walk through Proverbs chapter 8, kind of going verse by verse, pointing out a few things that I think are interesting to us that we need to know about Lady Wisdom. And then once we're done with Proverbs chapter 8, we're going to jump around a little bit to kind of see how this theme of an invitation to life uh, is played out through the story of Scripture. And so in Proverbs chapter 1, uh, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, again, is this introduction, and notice how it begins. She says, does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? And if you go down to the second half of verse 3, it says, she cries aloud. And so you can see Lady Wisdom is preparing to, for her speech, and she's going to be what? Crying aloud. She's not in a secret place. We see that she is on the heights, at the crossroads, besides the gates, at the entrance. And in the ancient world, every, every city, the center place, the meeting place was at the gates. That's where business was done. That's where the politics were hashed out. That's where cases were tried. And so she's going to the most public place so that her speech can be heard by all who pass her by. And she's crying aloud. It's this final appeal. It's this call, an invitation to wisdom. And who is she crying out to? Look at with me at verse 4. It says, To you, O man, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. And so this invitation, this final appeal, she's appealing to those she calls simple-minded or fools. And you might be thinking, well, that's a little bit harsh. But essentially, from a biblical perspective, you guys, these people that she's referring to, these simple-minded people, are just those who haven't learned anything yet. They're simple-minded. 
They're foolish. They don't have wisdom. And the most common uh, image that the Bible is going to use to illustrate who this person is, for all of you parents, you already know, it's a child. Children are the ones who have not learned wisdom yet, right? They're simple-minded. I'm not a parent, but I was a youth pastor at one point. And I know children and teenagers, they think that they're really wise, right? They think that they know everything, and as a parent or as an older person, you're like, yeah, you'd know nothing. But you think you do, right? So there's a problem there. But what's interesting is that if you look at Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7, this is Solomon asking God to give him this gift of wisdom so that he can actually reign as king. So this is right after King David dies and Solomon becomes king in his place. And look at how he describes himself. He says this, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. At this point, he is not a child. He is a man. And so he's describing himself as a child. Why? Because he does not know how to go out or come in, meaning he doesn't know how to be king. This is ancient language of leading his people out to battle and bringing and leading them back in. So he says, I don't know how to become king. I don't know how to rule. And so he refers to himself as a child. He lacks wisdom. And if you were to go on and read the rest of that story, God gives him this supernatural gift of wisdom so that he can actually rule uh, uh, just, with justice and righteousness. So these are the people that she's calling out to, those who lack wisdom, these simple-minded ones. In verse 6, she calls out to hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips come what is true. So she's calling out again to those who pass by to hear what she has to say. Pay attention. And in verse 6 through 9, she's going to describe her type of speech. What is coming from the mouth of this wise woman. What is Lady Wisdom all about? What does she speak? She speaks noble things. And from my lips come what is right. From my mouth will utter truth. When you think of Lady Wisdom, you should think of truth and righteousness. This is who she is. And of course, wickedness is an abomination to my lips, right? So there's this idea of there's the contrast of what I speak is truth versus what maybe Lady Folly speaks, which is wisdom. I mean, sorry, wickedness. In verse 8, she says, All the words of my mouth are righteous. Her words are what is right. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. And you'll kind of see that Lady Wisdom in her speech will kind of start using other imagery to describe her way of living. And here there's two contrasting paths. She says, my speech is a path that is straight. Well, the path of Lady Folly is one that is crooked. Her path is straight because her words are true and right. And I love this quotation. You guys, if you guys know me, I love uh, Tim Mackey, who is uh, one of the founders of the Bible Project. And this is what he says about this wisdom that Lady Wisdom is speaking of. And he says this, in the worldview of Proverbs, becoming wise isn't just about living strategically. So it's not just about becoming intellectually smart. That doesn't mean you're wise. I think we've all been around people that know a lot, but they're not very wise. 
like a know-it-all, you know? You're like, you know a lot of information, but you have no idea socially what's going on right now. You're not a very uh, a wise person. But this is what he says, but it is about desiring the right things in God's eyes. So if you are a wise person, it means that your desires are aligned with what God desires, with what he says is true and right, and what he says is just and fair. So if you want to become wise, first and foremost, you need to understand and begin to desire the things that God desires and not the things that you desire or what is right in your own eyes. She goes on to say in verse 10, Take my instructions instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. She's, she's going to talk about this a little bit later on, but she's comparing herself to riches, to wealth, to all of the things that we as human beings pursue in our lives, right? And she's saying that those things don't even come close to measuring up to the value that Lady Wisdom has. She says, all that you desire cannot compare with her. Think about for a minute, just all that you desire in life. All of the good things that you desire, maybe even some of the bad things you desire. And she's saying, nothing that you can possibly ever imagine compares to me. There's no wealth or riches in this world that can take the place of wisdom. In verse 12, she goes on to say, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. She's kind of picking back up on uh, where she left off in verse 7 and 8. She says, And I find knowledge with discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Now, if you guys remember when you hear last week, Zach introduced us to this idea that's kind of the thesis statement for the whole book of Proverbs. So you go back to read Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And he, uh, Lady Wisdom brings this kind of idea back up, and she talks about how the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. If you want to know if you really love God and you desire the things that he desires, well, then you're going to hate what is evil in his eyes. That's a good indication that you're on the right path. She goes on to say that pride and arrogance are the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. So again, it's this contrast of the pride and the arrogant and the evil. She is adverse to those things. She is what is right and what is true. I love in verse uh, 14 through 16, she begins to talk about how she is what kings use to rule well. She says, I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight and I have strength. She goes on to say in verse 15, By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. And it, there's this really cool uh, word in the Hebrew there that says, when it says that rulers decree, the Hebrew word means to carve out. It literally means uh, a king would carve out decrees into stone. And this was an example to the people of what it would look like to live a life of wisdom from a king's perspective. They would literally carve decrees onto stone. If you guys uh, have kind of know where this is going, you can kind of think of a story in Exodus where there's a king that dis inscribes or carves wisdom into stone and then gives it to his people, right? This is God giving the Ten Commandments 
to the people of Israel. He says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. This is this idea of what we see Lady Wisdom here. And so we can see, if we connect the story, that when God is giving his people Israel these commandments, this is literally the king of Israel, Yahweh, giving the gift of wisdom to his people so that they can live a life of justice and righteousness. In verse 17, she goes on to say, I love those who love me, don't we all? And those who seek me diligently find me. And I love this because I'm going to bring this back up at the end. Those who seek me diligently find me. So there's an element here of this wisdom, this invitation to wisdom isn't necessarily that it's just going to come naturally to you. You have to seek it out. Although it's this gift that's being offered, you have a part to play in it. In verse 18 and 19, she again talks about how um, much better her wisdom is than riches. She says, Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. So again, she's changing the imagery from this straight and crooked path to one of a tree where her fruit, the things that she produces, are better than riches. And one of my favorite verses that to kind of go off on this is in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 18. Look at how we see Lady Wisdom described. It says that she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Now, where have we seen that image before? Where have we heard this idea of a tree of life before? We're going to go there in a little bit. Well, that's kind of interesting. This lady wisdom is described as a tree that produces and gives life. And this life is far more valuable than anything else that this world can offer. And you're going to see that Lady Folly is, although she's seductive and she's smooth, and she's going to try to entice people to come and dine in her house and offer all sorts of great things. But nothing compares to Lady Wisdom. She goes on to say in verse 20, I walk in the way of righteousness in the path of justice. So again, she's just reiterating what she said before, that she is the standard of righteousness, that she is how kings and people rule with justice. Now, the coolest part of Proverbs chapter 8 is what comes next. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to skip over it, essentially. Uh, so this is, this is the coolest part, I think, in verse 22 through 31. And I just don't have time. And it's kind of a little bit of like a side thing. And so I figured I would try to make, stay on point as much as possible. But this is where Lady Wisdom is describing this idea that she was with God in the very beginning. Before the earth was even created. So think about Genesis chapter 1. Before that, Lady Wisdom was with God. She's, a very, she's the very essence of who God is. That She is uh, the literary personification of God's own wisdom, right? This Lady Wisdom is a personification of God's wisdom. And I think the point that I want to make here is simply this. There's so much good stuff in here. In, in the biblical understanding is that if you were older, generally speaking, you had wisdom. I kind of mentioned this before. And a younger person, generally speaking, lacked wisdom. And so here what she's doing is a little bit of a power play. 
It's like, I am so old, I'm older than everybody else. Therefore, how much should you seek out her wisdom, right? I was there before the world was even created. So I think that's a little bit of what's happening there. So we should pay attention to what she has to say. And we're going to jump down to kind of the conclusion in verse 32 through 36. So after she kind of gives this speech, she kind of, in a, in a way, gives one last appeal, one last call. And she says, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. And if you notice there, there's a repetition happening, that there's this call to listen to hear, to listen. Now, in English, that's, it's, it's uh, been translated as two separate words, but in the Hebrew, it's one word. It's Shema, which is a call to hear, but it can also mean to listen. But what's interesting is that it also has the connotation of obedience because that word ha carries a lot more um, meaning than our English word here. I think when we think about the English word, we think of something physical and something like audible. Like, I heard what you said. Every time I talk about this, I think of that little clip. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, that little boy, the listen, Linda, listen. She's like, you're not listening to me. He's like, no, you're not listening to me, right? But in, the, in this idea of the Shema or this Hebrew word here, it's this idea that if you actually hear somebody speak, it means that you understand what they're saying. And if you understand what somebody is saying, then you're going to respond appropriately to whatever they are saying. So if they're asking you to do something and you truly hear them, the way that you know that they hear you is that they're going to do what you've asked them to do. Right? So this idea of hearing, if you are a true hearer, that means that you will put it forth through action. Jesus is going to say this later on in the Gospels. He's going to say, My mother and my brothers are the ones who hear my word and do it. And uh, this idea of this hearing, it comes from one of the most important passages, not just in ancient Judaism, but in modern-day Judaism, out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, and this is this idea, this prayer, is, or this meditation is called the Shema, right? And it's, a, it's essential, it's critical to uh, Jewish daily prayers. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And if you are a true hearer, if you are truly listening, that means that you will do, right? You will love God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your might. And Jesus, again, is going to pick up on that language. Now, what's interesting in verse 6, uh, sorry, in, in verse um, 33, she says, hear instruction and be wise. Now, I want to just briefly talk about this idea of instruction because I think this is important. I think we understand uh, it from the context of a parent to a child. A parent instructs their child in how to live. Don't touch the stove when it's hot, right? Instruction. And what's interesting is that this word instruction is often translated as uh, Torah. If you hear the word Torah, that word means instruction. But in the English, our, our Bible translators translate that as law. 
And it carries a lot of weird connotations to it because we think that we're just getting a bunch of rules to follow. The word Torah means instruction. And if you want to know more about this, you can read uh, an amazing book by Dr. John Walton called The Lost World of uh, Torah. And he, he talks about how, from an ancient perspective, if we think about law, we think about Torah, it is much better understood as wisdom. Meaning that it is God giving wisdom to his children of how they can live a life in such a way that leads to life. Because in the ancient world, you guys, the, the societies were not governed by legislation like we do today. We have laws for every single thing under the sun. I've done this before. If you Google, like, gun laws, there's like 20,000 gun laws. And you're like, how many laws are there? Well, I don't think you can count how many laws we have. That's how we live as a society. Just tell me what to do and what not to do. But that's not an ancient way of understanding. An ancient way of understanding of how you want to govern is that you give your people examples of what it looks like to live a life of wisdom. And that wisdom is an invitation that leads to life. And I'm going to pick that back up in a little bit once we talk about Jesus, because this is ultimately where this is heading. And in verse 35 and 36, this is essentially the summary statement of this whole entire speech. She says this, For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor. From the Lord, but he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So, Lady Wisdom represents life. And if you choose to listen to her, you are choosing to live in such a way of a, a, a living in a way that is wise that ultimately leads to life. And if you choose to ignore her call and listen to Lady Folly, ultimately, as seductive and as attractive as that appeal may be, it ultimately leads to death. And so what I want to do is I want to show you guys a few different places where we see this brought up in Scripture. And I've kind of already mentioned it to you a little bit before, and I know Zach talked about this yesterday. But the first time in Scripture we see this invitation to choose life is in the Garden of Eden. I'm just going to summarize the story. But God creates a world, and he plants a garden in the center and in the middle of that garden, in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says this, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man when he, who he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God plants a garden. He puts humans in the garden, Adam and Eve. And then he puts, there's also two trees in the very middle. There's a tree of life. There's a tree that leads to life. And then there's this other tree that is called the knowledge of good and evil. And you're wondering, what in the world is that? And what's interesting is later on in chapter 3, we're going to see that God gives an instruction to his people. He calls out. And he says, there's just one thing I'm asking you guys not to do. Just listen to my voice. And the one thing is just don't eat from this tree. And why? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He says, because it ultimately leads to death. So you have a tree that leads to life, and you have a tree that ultimately leads to death. We see that choice in the story of Adam and Eve. And God is inviting 
his people to choose life. But what ends up happening, you guys, if you remember the story, everything seems good. Then all of a sudden, there's another voice that comes on the scene. And in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast that God had made. And he comes in with this alternate reality, this alternate viewpoint, and he says this, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden? So you have the voice of God, one calling his people to choose life, and then you have an alternative voice that comes in that is crafty, that is seductive. And ultimately, his voice is the one that leads to death. And we know the story, right? Whose voice does Adam and Eve listen to? Not God's. They decide to not listen to his wisdom. And it says in verse 6 of chapter 3, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of his fruit and ate it. Remember what Tim Mackey said, that wisdom is learning to desire what is right in God's eyes. So here we see Adam and Eve acting in their own wisdom because they desired something that was outside of God's wisdom. Now, what's interesting in here, we see at the end of the story, we see that all of a sudden, like, they're naked and ashamed, right? You guys remember that story? There's a lot to be made of that, and people have talked about that forever. Um, remember the people that are foolish in Scripture. Who are those people? They're children. Who are the only people, or should be the only people, in our society who can run around naked and not be ashamed? Children. So Adam and Eve here are being depicted as children, they're children who have not received the gift of wisdom. And instead of giving, getting the gift of wisdom from God that leads to life, they choose what is right in their own eyes, and ultimately that leads to death. We're landing the plane, I promise. But one more thing before we get to Jesus, because I love this. In Deuteronomy, that book that we all know and love so well in the Old Testament, the fifth book in the Bible— Right before the people of God are about to enter into the promised land, Moses gives them and helps them renew this covenant with God. And they all agree to live by God's standard of wisdom. And look with me at verse 30 and just notice the language and the ties from Proverbs 8 and Genesis chapters 2 and 3. This is Moses. He says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you what? Life and death. Where have I seen that before? Blessing and curse. And the voice that's calling out is, therefore, do what? Choose life. It's an invitation to call out. It's calling out that they would hear that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. Why? Because God himself is your life. He is your life. And length of days that you may dwell on the land that the Lord your God swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you see this pattern in Scripture that God gives his people this invitation to do what? To choose life. But we have a choice to make that's in front of us. And Adam and Eve didn't just have that choice. And ancient Israel didn't have that choice. But you and I have this choice every single day. We're faced with choices. And what voice are we listening to? Are we listening to the one that ultimately leads to life, the one of wisdom, the way of life, or are we listening to someone else's voice 
that ultimately leads to death and its folly. And I think this is my favorite part about this is because you see later on in the story, we're going to come to Jesus. And in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7, we went through it as a church, a series called, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, where Matthew has collected a lot of these teachings and sayings of Jesus into one kind of long discourse. And what does Jesus do in Matthew chapter 5? How does the sermon start? It's not going to be up on the screen, but it says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up where? On the mountain. He went up to a high place. Where did Lady Wisdom go? She stood up so she, her voice could be heard. And he sat down and he says, His disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. And then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, you guys, is Jesus offering people an invitation to wisdom. And what Jesus has to say in the next three chapters, five, six, and seven, are ultimately, you guys, what leads to life. Jesus is going to talk about anger. He's going to talk about sex. He's going to talk about divorce. He's going to talk about how to use your words. He's going to talk about loving those who persecute you and hate you. He's going to talk about how you handle your money. He's going to talk about how you should pray and how you should fast and how you should give. And all of those things, you guys, are just little examples of how you live a wise life in the kingdom of God. It's not comprehensive, right? Jesus didn't say everything about everything. But he's giving us as his people, he's inviting us to hear what he has to say. And if you're someone who truly hears the words of Jesus, it doesn't mean that you just hear and you say, okay, that's cool, Jesus. Yeah, I love your enemies. I buy that. That's cool. But you actually do them. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, I, just, I love this so much because you're going to see again these themes that we've been talking about. The way that he summarizes everything that he just says, said is by an invitation. <clears throat> and he says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, so he just got done saying these words, and what does them? If you hear the words of Jesus and you actually obey them, you listen to them, you do them, this is who you're going to be like. You're going to be like a wise man. You're going to have wisdom. And this person is one who built their house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who had these words of mine and does not do them, right? So the wise person is someone who hears what Jesus has to say and understands them and actually puts them into practice. They are the wise person. Contrasted to the one who is foolish. The one who is foolish is someone who hears what Jesus has to say, but does not understand because they do not live them out in their life. And this person, Jesus says, is a fool. And they build their house like one on sand. And when the rains come and the floods came, the wind blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So you can see Jesus here taking from Proverbs chapter 8. And essentially what Jesus is doing here is, is he's extending an invitation to wisdom, to a way that leads to life. And so when we're thinking about how in the world are we applying Proverbs chapter 8, I think it's really good for us to meditate on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And I would encourage you guys this week to just go back and to read what Jesus has to say. And then to evaluate your life 
and say, am I somebody who is wise? Meaning I, I'm actually understanding what Jesus is saying and I'm actually living it out. Or are you somebody who is kind of in the middle where you're like, there's some things that I get and I'm going to do, but then there's some things that I'm just quite not okay with. Or maybe you're somebody who hears what Jesus has to say and lives in the complete opposite way. But ultimately, you guys, Jesus is God's wisdom. And he's inviting us into this good life. A life uh, that is governed from his point of view and from his perspective. And so here's just a few questions that I want to leave us off with. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we, as we respond to uh, what we heard today. And these are just some questions that uh, I was thinking about in my reflection. So what is my source of wisdom? Is it what God desires for my life, or is it my own? That's a really hard one, I think, for us to really think about. Do I actually desire what God desires? Do I have his point of view on what the wise and good life actually is? What voice am I listening to? Am I listening to the one that ultimately leads to life? Or am I listening to the one that leads to death? Now remember that one that leads to death, man, she's crafty. She's sly. She's seductive. And sometimes it's really easy to kind of just listen into her voice and participate, but ultimately she leads to death. Is there any area in my life that I am listening to the voice of folly? Now this is a really good one for us to kind of think about, just evaluate where am I not in alignment with God's desires for my life? And then ultimately Jesus invites us to build on a foundation. And so the question is, what foundation am I building on? Am I building on the rock the one that Jesus says is the wise person, or am I building on the sand, the one that Jesus says is the one who is foolish? And so today for us, there's an invitation. There's a choice that we have to make of what voice we're going to listen to. What path are we going to take? What house are we going to dine in? Are we going to choose the one that leads to life, the one of wisdom, which is desiring Things from God's perspective, from the words of Jesus? Or are we going to listen to the voice of the foolish woman? God, we thank you for the gift of your word, Lord, and we thank you, God, that you have given us an example of what it looks like to live a wise life, Lord, and that your desire for your people is to to live in such a way that doesn't just lead to life for me and myself, but ultimately leads to the life for those around me, for my friends and for my family and for my community. God, we thank you that your intentions for us are good, that you came to give us life and life abundantly. God, but we recognize that sometimes we have a vision of what that looks like in our own lives that is not in alignment with what you say and what your word says, God. But we we ask that your Holy Spirit would help us that you would empower us to be able to choose each and every day when those, those choices are in front of us, God, to be able to choose life, to be able to walk in the way of wisdom. God, so we just ask that you would, you would show us how we can apply uh, these truths to our life today. God, and we just respond uh, to your word this morning by praising and worshiping you.